Welcome to the Weekly Insight Podcast, where we break down the noise of the week and help you understand the psychology of the markets with your host, Andrew Dore at Insight Wealth Group. Good morning. Welcome to the latest edition of the Weekly Insight Podcast. As usual, I'm your host, Andrew Dore. I'd like to get started this morning by just doing what I do every week and reminding you that what you're about to hear today shouldn't be considered individual investment advice, but instead just my thought and our firm's thoughts on what's going on in the market and the economy. Today, we're going to talk about things we can know and things we can't know. And there are some things that are just immutable truths, right? Things that no one disagrees about. They're settled fact. In this world where everybody disagrees about everything, there are still a few things that we know to be true. We need oxygen to breathe. That's true. Water is wet. That's true. The earth circles the sun. But just because those things are immutable today doesn't mean they've always been. Take, for example, the belief that the earth circles the sun. We have some solid evidence of this, right? We have spaceships literally wandering around the solar system that have collected data that have gone to the sun and sent us back information. It makes this belief a no-brainer, but it wasn't always. It was actually a Greek astronomer, and I'm going to brutalize his name, so those of you who know Greek, don't be mad at me, but I believe it's Aristarchus of Samos, and he was the first to propose the idea of a heliocentric solar system, the, the sun being at the center of the solar system. He came up with it in roughly 300 BC, but he had no way, no means to prove it. It wasn't until 1800 years later when Polish astronomer Nicholas Copernicus wrote his book On the Revolutions of the Heavenly Spheres in 1543 that any evidence of this truth was actually available. So at best, this immutable fact has only been so for 480 years. And if you assume that modern man has been around for 200,000 years, that means we've only held this belief for 0.24% of our existence. For the other 99.76% of our existence, the immutable fact was that the sun circled the earth. So what does ancient astronomy mean to the market? Not much, but it is an excellent reminder that things we assume to be true often aren't. And that brings me to a discussion today about the Fed's 2% inflation target. We're all familiar with the 2% threshold. It seems to most of us like it's always been the goal, but that really got me thinking, why? Why is it the goal? Who made it the goal? Is it the right goal? That's led me down an interesting rabbit hole over the last week or so that I think is worth exploring. Because first, it's important to understand that 2% or below is not exactly the norm. As you may recall me discussing in the past, core PCE is the Fed's preferred measure of inflation. We will use that as our measuring stick for this discussion. The core PCE statistic has been measured by the Bureau of Labor Statistics since January 1st, 1960, and it has been collected every month for the last 63 years. Its current level is 3.88%. That's down substantially from the high we saw in February of 2022, which was 5.57%. Over the last 63 years, though, the average core PCE has been 3.24%. We've measured PCE 764 times, and it has been at or below that 2% target 314 times, or roughly 41% of the time. But here's the thing, of those 314 times that we've been at or below the 2% target, 241 of those have happened in the last 27 years. In the first 36 years, we only saw inflation below the 2% target 73 times. Simply put, 2% inflation is a pretty new thing. 
But how did 2% become the target? Was it well-researched academic writings? No, it wasn't. It was a politician from New Zealand. In 1988, New Zealand was just coming off of a pretty rough patch of inflation. It had reached as high as 15 and was now down to 10%. Their finance minister at the time, a guy by the name of Roger Douglas, was being interviewed about inflation and was being asked if he thought that that 10% level was satisfactory. His response, he said no, he wasn't satisfied. And he wanted to see inflation between 0 and 1%. As you can imagine, their version of the Fed was caught a little bit off guard by this unplanned statement, unplanned target for inflation. So they got to work setting up an official target. And they came up with 2%. They justified it with the belief that there was some level of upward bias in measuring inflation. Meaning that reporting comes in a little bit higher than what the actual number is. So they used 2% because it kind of matched with Douglas's goal of 0 to 1%. They worked the math backwards to justify Douglas's rash statement in an interview. Now, the timing of this was pretty fortuitous because from late 1988 to 1997, 98, we saw a pretty steep drop off in inflation. The end of the Soviet Union, the growth of globalism, the advent of the internet all led to lower costs for goods and sustained lower inflation. Douglas's timing was as impeccable as it was unplanned. Over the coming years, other central banks began to create their own 2% targets, the first time they had ever created public targets before. 2% seemed like an easy number to hit when inflation was trending towards that level anyway. Now, the U.S. Federal Reserve was struggling with this idea as well, and in the mid-1990s, Alan Greenspan was the chairman, was leading the Federal Reserve, and he believed that we should set some sort of informal target. Now, he didn't want to release that target to the public, but he wanted to have a goal inside the Fed that they could stick to. And in his belief, that informal target should be 0%. There was another Fed governor. You might have heard of her. Her name is Janet Yellen. She became the chair of the Fed. She's now the U.S. Treasury Department secretary. She thought that such a low target would be disastrous if a recession happened. And so she argued that we should meet the rest of the world in the middle and come in at 2%. And so that became the informal a non-public target for the Fed. But it wasn't actually for another 16 years that the investing public in the United States was given a public goal. It was Fed Chairman Ben Bernanke who officially marked the U.S. down in the 2% target camp nearly a quarter of a century after Douglas's offhanded remark. It wasn't a hard cause to join at that point because inflation had been at or around that level for nearly 15 years. But that still leaves us with the question, why? Why 2%? More than likely not, it's because it fit their models. Economists, much like investors, much like you and me, tend to extrapolate things out to infinity. If this is happening, it's going to keep happening, right? How many times have we seen the investing public get in trouble believing that? Things were going great in the early 2000s. In the mid-2000s, people thought they were going to go great forever in real estate. They didn't. Real estate market collapses. People thought things were going to be horrible forever. They weren't. Low interest rates, low inflation throughout the teens. Everybody thought it would continue forever. It didn't. That keeps happening over and over and over again in history. And that brings me to where we are today. Inflation has unquestionably fallen. It's fallen dramatically. While core PCE does remain elevated, it's closer to the long-term average today than the 2% target is to the average. And the reversal of the trends of globalization make it that much more unlikely we're going to sustainably get back to the 2% goal. I'd argue the Fed agrees with me on this. 
They seem to recognize this to some degree because their latest projections, the latest statement of economic projections that came out in the September meeting, did not see them believing we would get to 2% for another three years. That leads us into the next few months and what the role is for the Fed. Now, as I've mentioned before, it is possible that inflation actually rises a bit or stalls at these current levels as we head into the end of the year and the first quarter of next year. I throw a chart in the memo this week. You can see it in the show notes, but it essentially shows that if inflation remains where it's been month over month, we're going to actually see a plateau of inflation as we head into the next year. So if core PCE settles in that mid 3% range for the first several months of 2024, how's the Fed going to respond? There's a part of me that believes the Fed understands that the 2% target is arbitrary and that stable inflation, even if it's a little bit higher than we'd hoped for, is actually a good sign, especially when the economy is showing this much strength. But if that's not the case, and the Fed is deeply committed to that 2% target, that 2% target that was made up on a whim in an interview in New Zealand in 1988, one can see a scenario of more hikes in 2024, and frankly, that's a scenario that would not be good for the markets. In the meantime, we're in a good position. Several members of the Fed, including Chairman Powell, made it clear this week that they do not tend to hike rates again in November. That gives us at least until the end of the year to make hay while the sun shines. But we're going to have to watch very, very closely to what the Fed is saying and doing and make sure they don't drive us into a ditch as we get into 2024. We're going to have to be very flexible in portfolios as we look to that. So with that, I'll wrap it up this week. As always, if you'd like to discuss this, if you have questions, if you have concerns, give us a call here at the office, 515-273-1333, or you can always visit us on the web at www.insightwealthgroup.com. I hope you have a fantastic week, and I look forward to touching base with you again soon. Take care. Securities offered through Arate Wealth Management, LLC, member FINRA, SIPC. Investment advisory services offered through Arate Wealth Advisors, LLC, an SEC-registered investment firm. 